We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Romans 13. This is actually... This is one of the chapters that actually impacted my life the most when I first came to know Christ almost 15 years ago. At that time, I had no real idea of what my life as a Christian should be. But one day I began reading through Romans and I came to chapter 13 and it really, really ministered to my life. And I truly hope that it would minister to each and every one of you as well tonight. Verse 1, chapter 13 says, Let every soul be subject to who? To the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Let every soul, every soul is speaking to who? To every Christian. Let every one of the believers, those who call on the name of Jesus, be subject to the governing authorities. Now, this word subject, what does that mean? Well, it, it literally means to come under the authority of the government. It literally means to submit yourself to the will of the government, to set aside your will, to set aside your want, and to be a subject of the government. Why? Because it says, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Who sets the government in place? It's God. Why did God set a government? Why did he, why did he institute this, this body? Well, he instituted it for our benefit. He instituted it because we as sinful people, having a sinful nature tend to run amok when we're left to our own devices. You know, some of you might know a little bit of my history. When I was a young man, I was a very rebellious young man. I did what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it, and I did not obey my father nor my mother. I didn't heed their warnings. I didn't heed the warnings of the officers who constantly kept arresting me. You know, guess what? That life of living under my own will and for my own purpose led me to a lot of difficulties. You know, it brought, it brought a, a, a bad stigma to me for a long time. But one day, when I came to know Christ as my Lord and Savior, I also had to learn that I no longer served my will nor my purpose. I did not do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it, whether the law cared or not. I had to learn that I had to submit. Submit to those who are in authority because God has established them there for it. Titus 3.1 says this, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. First Peter 
2.13.15 reads like this. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Why? Why do we do this? following verse tells us, for this is the will of God. See, when you submit to the governing authorities, you're doing the will of God. You're obeying the Lord. Why? It says that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Why do we submit to this governing body? Is it by our own strength? Is it because we love them? I don't think so. Most of us don't like a lot of people in politics. Let's be honest. I mean, I hear a lot of people call the governor a lot of ugly names. But as Christians, as believers, we don't submit because we just want to do it. We submit because the grace of God, who has taught us how to submit to the highest authority who is God, also teaches us to submit to the governing authorities. So, what does that mean? You submit to the Lord? You want to honor the Lord? Submit to the government. Be obedient to the laws. You know, if the law says you go 35, don't drive 45, 50. You know, it's interesting. I had one of my drivers the other day, I had a conversation with him just yesterday over, over failure to stop. He gave me about four different reasons why he doesn't come to a complete stop. He blew through a stop sign at 18 miles an hour while turning right, and I explained to him all the consequences of what could have happened. First, could have got a ticket. Secondly, somebody could have ran right into you. Third, you could have ran somebody over. You could have crashed. And the last one was the one where he just says, well, you know, when I come to a stop, I, I, I kind of coast to about two to five miles an hour. I said, it doesn't matter. You're still breaking the law. Now, this is a young man who grew up in the church. I said, it don't matter whether it's two miles or five. The law says... Come to a complete stop, wait about three seconds, and then proceed. That's the law. Otherwise, they'll give you a nice $300 ticket for not submitting to the law. So as believers, we are to just simply obey the law. We do the things that honor God. If, you're a, if you come to a complete stop, an officer is not going to give you a ticket, right? He'll give you a ticket for not submitting, for not doing what's right. Same as the government. You know, yeah, sometimes I think the people in Sacramento are not thinking straight. You know, sometimes it just amazes me with the things they come up. But we have a benefit living in America. See, in America, we're given the ability by the Constitution, which was drafted under the principles of the Bible, under Judeo, Christian values, says that we, if we don't like certain people in government, have the ability to go vote. 
So if you look at the government and say, you know, the government's not doing right, rather than badmouthing the government and badmouthing those in government, you know what you can do? Go vote. That's what we do. Brother Henry just spoke about a petition, right? Now, people can say, I don't like the laws they're making. Well, then sign the petition. Sign it. And let the government know and hear your voice. That's how we change things. Not by bad-mouthing them, but by being obedient to the things that were given by the law. Why? Well, verse 2 says this. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists God. Resist the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring what? Judgment upon themselves. You know, earlier I shared with you, when I was, I was rebellious, I, I suffered the judgment of the law. You know, they said, okay, here, you're going away for a while. Why? Because I resisted the authorities. So the authorities took me and placed me in a place I didn't want to be for a good while. As a Christian, I knew I couldn't do that no more. I, I said, okay, Lord, what do I do with my life now? And, you know, the Lord says, just obey the government. Do not resist them. Do not be in opposition to the government and to the law. Because when you do that, you're disobeying me. Now, there are times when the government, particularly governments of other countries, even if you're doing the right thing, they'll arrest you. They don't care. You know, we, we know of our brother, Pastor Saeed, right? We also, some of you might know of our sister, Bibi Asia, in Pakistan, who still pleading her case not to be hanged to death because she was falsely accused of blaspheming Muhammad. She did nothing wrong. She did not resist the government, but she might die. But she said she's still at peace. She's at peace with the Lord. But as a Christian, we can't disobey the Lord. We can't resist. We can't do these things that dishonor him. We have to do the things that bring glory to the Lord. But my question is this. Why do we resist the law? Because the law demands one thing. Full obedience. And too often, we're like my mama used to call me un burro. Donkey. We resist. Have you ever seen a donkey when he gets tired what he does? He'll sit and you ain't going to get him up. Serious, you can tug, pull, kick him. He'll sit there until he feels like getting up. Well, that's what we can be. Because we want our way. We want it our way. So we resist the government. But see, the government is trying to maintain peace and order. Because if the government doesn't maintain peace and order, a society without rules and laws is a society in confusion, chaos, disorder, disarray. As we have seen lately in the Middle East. All these things that are happening. And it's happening a lot to our Christian brothers over there and sisters. You know, some, some of the laws they pass, they make sense, right? 
Some of the laws don't make sense. Just recently, the Supreme Court voted on a law that that I say is totally against the attributes and the laws of God, which is trying to force preachers, pastors, to marry homosexuals. But that goes against everything that God stands for. That we don't obey. We obey the higher authority who is God, who says that is an abomination to me. So in that sense, yes, we don't obey. But if it's a good law, then we obey. We don't resist that. And you know what? If we end up in prison, so be it. As we have seen, many of our brothers and sisters are in prison today for obeying God. And I was thinking of our sister Kim Davis. They put her down left and right. But whatever she was prior to coming to Jesus Christ is gone. She's doing the will of God. Verse 3 says, For rulers are what? Not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Now, the rulers are not supposed to be tyrants. Yes, if we look at history, and I'll be honest with you, I love reading history, finding out about history and the things that have happened in the past. In the old days, in the days of the monarchy, they ruled with an iron fist. They, I mean, killed a lot of their own people. They were a terror. And often they did it in the name of religion. You know, if you look at the history of England, you find out that those who, who were of Catholic origin would arrest anyone who was a Christian and put them in chains and kill them instead of leading by the word of God. They were a terror to those who were their subjects. But the Bible tells us that we are to honor the Lord in all we do. We are not to be afraid of the authorities if you're doing what's right. Like I told you earlier, if you stop, they're not going to mess with you. It's kind of interesting. I remember I remember a few times when I would just kind of do a California stop and then look back. No, who does? No, cop. Okay, let's go. You know, it's like, wait. How do we, how do we justify that as a Christian? Hell, we can't. And if a cop caught me, guess what? Here's your ticket, buddy. You know, and we as believers... We have to do what is right in the sight of the Lord. We can't be afraid of the law if you're doing what's right. And if you do what's right, guess what? You're going to receive praise from them. They'll say, you know what? This guy used to be this, this, this. But I have seen what God has done in his life. And God can use that testimony. God can use 
everything that has happened to you for good. If you obey the Lord. But if you do evil, be afraid. Be very afraid. Because the law will look for you. You know, I always get a kick out of guys when I see them running on the freeway, right? They're trying to get away from the cop. They think, oh, if I just get to the next county, uh, they're waiting for you over there too, dude. <laughs> you know, they're not going to leave you. You can go out of state. They'll still catch you. If you try to flee for the border, they'll catch you. They're afraid. Why are they afraid? Because they know if, if they get caught, they're going to go to prison for a long time. They know there's a lot of charges against them. So, yes, but... As a Christian, should you do that? No. As a Christian, should you be fearful of the authorities? No, if you're doing what's right. Just obey the Lord. Do what is good in His sight. Because it continues and it says, For He does not bear the sword in vain. Uh, the sword is a representation of his authority. If he has to pull out his sword, he's going to use it. You know, in the old days, and Paul's looking at his surroundings, in the old days, when they pulled out the, the, the sword, usually it was for capital punishment. It was to kill you. They didn't hesitate. You were a rebel. You weren't obeying the government. We'll just do away with you. That's what they did. Now, Paul's speaking directly to Christians and saying, whatever you did in the past, don't live that way anymore. You know, just submit yourself to the government. Obey what they tell you. Do the things that are glorious to the Lord. Because if he pulls out his, his sword, he ain't going to pull it out in vain. Because he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. You know, I always listen to the radio almost every single day when I'm driving. And they always talk about executions, right? And, um, you know, right now, the states that lead the nation in executions are Missouri, Texas, Oklahoma, Florida. Over there, when they tell you you're going to die, they mean it. You know, often criminals aren't scared to commit crimes in California because... They're not going to do what they always say they're going to do. But other states will, they will. But why is it that, that we don't practice evil? Why is it that we don't behave that way anymore? What is the reason that we stop being who we used to be? Well, verse 5 says, therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath. In other words, you don't just submit yourself to government because of, you're afraid of what they might do to you. But also for conscience sake. Now we are to be obedient to the precepts of the law. Not only because it serves a good purpose, but also because to violate the law is to violate our own conscience. We know in our hearts what's right. We know. 
But sometimes we make excuses for doing wrong. And we go ahead and violate the law. But Paul's saying, don't do it. For your conscience sake, don't violate the law. You know, if we examine the confrontation between Jesus and the Jewish leaders in John 10.31, they're getting ready to stone him. And Jesus says, for what good work do you want to stone me? And they say, it's not for good works. It's for blasphemy, for proclaiming that you are the Christ. But if you look right before that, they had asked them, are you the Christ? Tell us plainly. You know, and you would think that all the evidence that Jesus had done, miracles, feeding thousands, right? Raising of the dead, healing the sick, healing the paralyzed. You would think that all these things were been the greatest example, the greatest testimony that this is truly the Messiah. But because sometimes men in power are drunk in their own power, they do not accept the witness that they see. And so Jesus, in this moment, when he has his argument with them, you know, he's challenging them. He's saying, prove me. Show that I've done wrong. My conscience is clear before God, my Father. I've done nothing wrong to which you can attest that I have violated one single law of who? God. See, their whole thing was they were mad because his disciples wouldn't wash their hands like the rituals demanded. Well, guess what? Those are man-made rituals, man-made laws. Jesus didn't care. He wanted us to be obedient to the laws of God, to the Ten Commandments. And we'll see that in a moment because Paul brings some of them up. Now, the Jewish leaders, of course, they, they said, oh, we keep the law. Which, in reality, they were breaking the law because they're lying. You know, it's like, wait, how do you keep the law? But you're lying right now. You don't always feed the poor. You do everything for a show. You falsely accuse people for your own benefit. See, those things, they don't glorify God. And Jesus knew this. And those men who proclaim to keep the law will be judged by the very letter of the law. We as Christians, yes, we're not under the law. We're under grace. But because we are under grace, we are also supposed to obey the law. It says in verse 6, for because of this, you also pay taxes. Now, as Christians, we, we get our tax bill every year, right? Comes in every well, January and has to be paid by the 15th of April. As Christians, we have to say, you know what? I owe this much. And we'll see if you get a refund. If you get a refund, praise God. You don't know nothing. You don't get a refund, but you don't know them. Hey, praise the Lord. You don't know nothing. But if you're told that you owe money, you can't go around scheming how to come up with ways to deduct some more. Trust me, I went to um, 
to a tax guy one time, and he was telling me, yeah, you know, if we do this, we do that, you'll get more money back. Well, guess what? I didn't do any of that. Why should I claim that? I'm going to pay what's right. I'm going to pay Caesar what's Caesar, as we'll see right now. So you pay your taxes. Why? Because you want to do what's right in the sight of the Lord, and your conscience is to be clean. You don't want to go to bed thinking, man, I cheated the government. What if they find out? Man, they might lock me up. Because that's what they'll do. The IRS doesn't mess around. They'll take you and lock you away. So pay it. Why? For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes who... To whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. If someone is honorable, honor them. If you go to another country and, you know, they have certain customs which are not in violation with God's laws, hey, it's cool. You You go to Mexico and you want to learn to dance folklorico, you know, maybe wear one of those big old sombrerotes it's cool. You know, that's customs. My brother was talking about going to Mexico. You know what? It's one of the most beautiful experiences you're ever going to have. Just being there with those little ones. Being there with people who have nothing. You're going to be blessed if you do go. Now, verse 8 is one of those that, uh, to be honest with you, I had to think heavy about, really heavy on this one. Because it says this, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Owe no one anything. That means do not borrow from anybody so that nobody can have anything to hold against you. But in this day and age, in the times that we live, sadly, most believers are in some kind of debt. Most believers are a slave to the lender, as we read in Proverbs 22.7. It is estimated that almost every household in America has a $9,000 in credit card debt. We owe people. God did not intend for us to be in debt. He didn't. You know, Dave Ramsey says this, a whole bunch of us got all this stuff we really didn't want with money we really didn't have to impress people we really didn't like. (laughs) And it is so true. Well, they bought a new car, I'm going to buy a new car. Well, they just added to their house, I'm going to add to my house. I ain't got the money, but I'll go to the bank and borrow some more money. That's not God's way. God says, do not owe anybody, no one, so that you won't be able to get, be getting those calls in the middle of the night looking for you. Hey, you owe us. Where's our payment? You know why he says that? Not to owe anybody? So that you can sleep at night. So that when you lay your head down, you can rest. Because what happens when you owe? 
when you owe, first, you can't tithe. You can't give to God. Because you're too concerned about paying a credit card. You're too concerned about, oh, my score is going to drop if I don't send it on time. And God, and the work of the Lord, gets undone. Nobody there to do it. Because we owe, we can't support missionaries. Because we owe, we can't support people who are in need, who are hungry. Because we owe, we can't send a missionary money to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone who's destined to go to hell if they don't hear the word of the Lord. Because we owe. Because we borrowed ourselves into the grave. That's not God's will. And what, you got a credit card? Cut it up. Throw it in the trash. And pay that thing as soon as possible. And do what the Lord wants you to do. Live for his glory. Because this fulfills the law of the Lord. You're being obedient. One of the things that I've, that I've learned and I read too also was this. You cannot borrow your way to prosperity. You can't. You will never borrow your way into prosperity. And prosperity doesn't mean having millions and riches. It means having a simple life. Free of that constant aching thought that I got to pay. Because if you borrow, you will not be able to give to God's work. If you owe money, you can't tithe. You can't support missionaries. And sadly, too often in the church, most people who give, give about 3%, if that. Because the rest of it has to go to their credit cards and everything else that they borrowed. Now, today I found out something interesting. One of my coworkers says, hey, you know where so-and-so works? I said, yeah, because he had left, he left from us about two months ago. He's like, man, this guy's been hiding from me since he left. He owes me money. And he tells me different places. Like, last time he told me he was working in Irwindale or, you know, City of Industry somewhere. He's always hiding because he, he's afraid to pay. He doesn't have the money. And guess what? It ruined the friendship. They had a very good friendship, but over money, it got ruined. That's what happens. And I stringed that relationship to the point where now it's like, just, just give me my money and I they watch you. I'll see you. I don't want to see you again. That's because we owe. But Paul says we should owe no one nothing except one thing, to love them. To love them with the love of Jesus Christ. To love them with that agape love, which with God loves us. That's what we owe. To love people, especially the unbeliever. So that one day, these people may come to know Jesus Christ personally. You know, when, when you don't know, you have true peace. And you're able to do wonderful work for God. And then you get to see 
the glory of the Lord working in the life of people. Because you're able to go on, on a missionary trip to Cambodia or to Mexico. Because you can say, you know what? I got some fatty. I got some money. I, I can buy a toy for this kid. I, I get, you, know, you can get excited about doing the work of God. Man, this missionary needs something. Boom, here you go, bro. I always think of, of Joshua and, and Katie. You know, and the good work that they're doing. But you know what? They need our support. They're doing their part. Are we doing ours? That's, that's what we got to ask ourselves. Are we doing our part to do the work of the Lord? Are we loving the unloved? Are we loving the unsaved? And if not, we have to get right with the Lord. We truly do. Because it says this in verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear fault witness, you shall not covet. And that's the key word right there, covet. That's what leads us into debt. We covet what other people have. And if there is any other commandment are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is, is the fulfillment of the law. You know what? That's the only thing that we truly can do is love people. When you do those things, you truly know what it means to be a servant of the Lord. Because a lot of times, we don't love people. A lot of times, there's adultery in our hearts. A lot of times, you, you know, we men are guilty of that just as women are. A lot of times, there's murder in our hearts where we hate somebody. You know, we truly hate that person. Wait, as a Christian, you're to love them. You're to pray for them. Does not the Lord say pray for those who persecute you? So why would you hate them so much to the point where you're murdering them? Whether it be in your heart or physically. You know, murder is one of those things that truly destroys families. We have a family member who's in prison for that crime. And it's, it's heartbreaking to me that he's there. Yeah. It says you shall not steal anything. Yeah. Don't bring things that they didn't give you at work home. Oh, it's only toilet paper. They don't miss it. Hey, you know what? They didn't give it to you. It belongs to the company. Don't steal. Don't take things that you were not given. That's one of the things that my wife loves about my job. They give us things. And come home with Clorox. Check it out, babe. She gets all happy. She's all good. I was running out of wipes. You know? Napkins. I mean, rolls of napkins. She come home with them. Hey, babe, we got napkins today. But if they didn't give it to me, I'm not going to keep it. Why? Because that's stealing. Yeah. I'm dishonoring the Lord. 
Next one, you don't bear false witness. A lot of Christians do that. You know that they bear false witness. Oh, yeah, I saw so-and-so doing this when truly they didn't do it. Don't do that. And whatever you do, don't covet. Don't covet another man's wife. Don't covet another woman's husband. Don't covet their home. Don't covet their car. Don't. Because you're sinning. If somebody has it, hey, praise God. It's cool. You know, I'm happy for them. You know, perhaps one day you will have it. Just wait. Save up. You know, take it easy. God will provide. But more than anything, you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Do you hate yourself as a Christian? Because if you do, you need to ask God for forgiveness. If you don't like yourself as a believer, you need to ask the Lord to fill you with his Holy Spirit and to fill your heart with his love. I don't hate myself. You know what? I love myself. Not in a bad way. That's why I go to the doctor. And the doctor says, Peter, your cholesterol is too high. You can't keep eating chicharrones. And sorry, they got to go. I love myself. You know, some, you have a cheat day, of course. I have one day at least, you know. No more carnitas because they're high in cholesterol. But that's how we love ourselves. So why don't you love your neighbor the same way? The same way you love yourself, love them. Be respectful. Be kind. Be compassionate. Be gentle. Be merciful. Be helpful. If you know your neighbor's lacking, hey, provide. Maybe your neighbor doesn't have beans. Maybe they're lacking rice. Hey, you know what? I got some extra. Here you go. You know? Love them the way you love yourself. Because believe me, I've seen the way we love ourselves sometimes. A little too much. Now verse 11 says, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Hmm. You know what that is? Our brother Henry touched up on it earlier. We all know we're saved, but some of us have forgotten that we have a, a calling in our lives. Some of us have forgotten that we got to go proclaim the gospel. We're slumbering. We're kicking it in our hammocks, just waiting for the Lord, while others will be perishing. Paul's saying, wake up. Snap out of this trance you find yourself in. This comfort state that you live in. Wake up. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Every day when I wake up, I know I'm one day closer to the rapture. I'm day, one day closer to being with Jesus Christ. One day closer to seeing the glorious Lord of heaven and earth. But... At the same time, knowing this, I have to remember that there are those who don't know this. There are those who are perishing. Today I got to speak with a young man. 
I didn't tell my wife. Yesterday I missed them when I pulled up. They had just taken them in the in the ambulance. Today I see them and I said, "Hey, bro, how do you feel? I missed you yesterday by just minutes." He's like, "Oh, I'm good today, bro. I'm good today." And I said, "So what happened?" Oh, you know my. I haven't taken my high blood pressure, and uh, I, I couldn't see. My eyes just went wide, and there was nothing, and almost passing out and stuff, and my heart went out to him. I said, you know what, bro? That's a wake-up call from the Lord. The Lord had mercy on you today because you could have passed away. But the Lord is giving you mercy. The Lord is giving you another day to come back to him. And I told him that because he was a believer. He knew the Lord, but he's walked away and drifted away into the world again. Yeah. He needs to realize that God is calling him to come back to him. Just as he's calling us to go preach the gospel. It says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on what? The armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife, and not in envy. When we were in the world, we were in, in darkness. Basically, we were just straight to hell. That's where we were headed. Our eyes were blinded by the ways of Satan. Our hearts were just focused on the things that pleased ourselves, and we did things for our own selves. But as believers, as Christians, we are to cast off the works of darkness. Anything that is sinful in the sight of the Lord, we are to throw it away in the garbage. It doesn't belong to him. But we are to put on what? The armor of light. You ever seen a, a knight in shining armor? They look cool, huh? Their horse up, they're all bright and everything. Well, that should be us. That, that should be us to the world. We should be that city on a hill. That light that is not extinguished. We have to... We have to show others the love of God and the true Savior who is Jesus Christ because they see us and they see him. That's why he says, let us walk properly as in the day. You know, whether it's nighttime, whether it's daytime, whether you're hanging out with unbelievers, you cannot change, you cannot compromise. You must remain the same at all times. Today, one of my coworkers says, hey, Peter, it's almost that time to go, you know, drink a couple of cold ones, huh? I looked at him and I said, you know what, bro? Um, I don't drink. He's like, what? I said, no, man. I don't touch that stuff. Really? He's got this puzzled look on his face, right? I said, you know what, bro? Let me tell you a little something. So I shared with him my testimony. I said, this is who I used to be. This is who God has made. That's who the Lord has created. That's why he says this, walk properly day and night, not in revelry, not being disobedient, not being a drunk. Because a lot of times, you know what happens? A lot of Christians will compromise. Oh, you know, it's just one beer. 
One beer leads to two beer. Three beers leads to a six-pack. Next thing you know, you're passed out on your couch. That's not what the Lord wants. He's created a new creature in us, a new creation. We're not that old man. We're dead. That guy is left on the cross of Jesus Christ on Calvary. I'm not that man anymore. We don't walk in lewdness. We don't go and do obscene things. We don't cuss at the whim of our desires. You know what happens? A lot of Christians, they substitute bad words for different words. But in truth, we know what we're saying. We know the true word that wants to come out of our mouth because all oh, everybody's going to look at me and say, look, the Christian is cussing. And we're sinning against our own conscience. We're sinning against the Holy Spirit. What does the Lord say? The words you speak come out of the heart. And if Jesus is in your heart, then you're not going to want to speak that way. But if he's not in your heart and you're pretending to be something you're not, you need to get right with the Lord. You can't walk around saying obscene things and lusting. You can't. We, we just got to turn from all that. You can't go around causing strife in other people's lives. If anything, as Christians, we are to unite people in Christ, not separate people. We are to bring them to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the word of salvation that is found in him. We are to point everybody straight to Jesus. That's what we do. And we can't go around being envy like it says. You, know, you can't be envious of your neighbor. If there's envy in your heart, ask God to take it away. You know, God is good and merciful and gracious. And he will remove these things that do not glorify him. He will change your heart if you ask him. If you seek him. If you surrender to him, if you submit yourself to the glory of the Lord, these things will be removed from you. As I share with my coworker today, because he says, so if I put a, a whole banquet in front of you of beers, you ain't going to have one. I said, I got no taste for them, bro. I don't need them to enjoy life. You know, I no longer have to wake up in the morning and think, oh, man, who did I insult last night? What did I say that made somebody mad? Oh, man, did I get in a fight again? I don't worry about that no more. Because, see, God has created a new person. Oh, that guy is dead. I don't like him. That's one person I don't like is that guy. But I do love who God has created. And because I love who God has created, it allows me to love my wife, to love my children. To love my brethren. When I look at my brethren, my sisters in the faith, I don't want to look at them in lust. I don't want to look at them and say, oh man, I wonder if I... No. Because I love them. And if I say I love them, and I love their, their husbands as my brothers in Jesus Christ, and you know what I got to do? I got to fall on my knees and pray for them, their marriage, their children. Pray for the congregation. That's what we do. Don't ever look at another man's wife and say, man, I wish my wife was like her. Don't do that. Never compare your wife to anyone else. And don't compare your husband to another man. We, we've done it. But the Lord says, don't do it. You know, let the Lord deal with people. Let the Lord deal with, 
Whatever situation is going on in their marriage, you pray for them. You pray that the Lord will uphold those who are hurting. You pray that the Lord will do a work in our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted. Because that's what it says in verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill what? It's lust. We are to put Jesus on every day. Every day. That means, as Paul said, imitate me as I have imitated him. You want to look up to somebody? Look up to Jesus Christ. You know? That's what we do. We put on Christ. Good times, bad times. You know what? Thank you, Jesus. I made it through another day. Be grateful to the Lord for all he's given to you. Times get hard? Hey, put on Jesus Christ. Because we all need to. I've seen a lot of believers put back themselves on and get stuck in the world. And it's disheartening. And all I can do is pray for them that one day they will give their hearts back to Jesus Christ. But for us, daily, I plead with you, Pray. Ask the Lord to minister to you. Ask the Lord to fill your heart with his love so that you can love the unbelievers and so that you can pray for those who are in need. Let him lead you. That's my prayer for you, that the Lord will lead you, that the Lord will minister to you, that the Lord will demonstrate who is in need and that you will provide for that person whatever God has asked you to do. Because that's the expression of love. That's imitating Jesus Christ. When Jesus saw the need, he provided. You know, when Paul was in prison, was he complaining? No. You know what he did? He prayed. He prayed to the Lord every day. And because those who were supposed to be watching him, the, the guards, they saw this man never lose hope, never lack faith. Guess what happened? They converted. They saw that testimony and said, man, whatever he wants, I, I want it too. That's what we got to do. We just got to put on Christ so that others will see you and say, I want that too in my life. Because it took me a while to know that when I saw my wife. See, she was a believer before I was. And on Sunday mornings when I'd be laying in bed all crudo, hungover, trying to get over whatever I did the night before, she'd come in and say, hey, babe, you want to go to church with us? Nope. It took me a long, almost a year to realize that I needed what she had found. And I needed to put it on every day. And that's what changed us. That's what changes each and every one of us. It's Jesus Christ. It's not ourselves. It's him. And when you have Jesus, you make no provisions for the desires of the flesh. You will never surrender to your flesh. But you've got to put on Jesus daily. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626 454 
3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.